A reading from the book of Acts. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness, shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us... We cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. The word of the Lord. I am so excited to preach on this passage. As we prepare to hear from this passage, um, can I invite you to bow your heads with me? as we share one more word of prayer together. Dear Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. And in the oldest prayer of the church, I pray, come Holy Spirit, come in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the title of today's message is In No One Else. We're looking at Acts chapter 4, and I want to begin with this question. Have you ever witnessed the downfall of pride? Have you ever witnessed the downfall of pride? Now, it just so happens that God, in his divine sovereignty, uh, brought friends of ours from Lake Wales, Florida here today, and that's Dylan and Marie McKeeman. Can we give them a round of applause? Welcome them. And the reason I point them out is not to embarrass them, but 
to uh, actually know. I, I have some witnesses in the audience here, in the congregation, um, that can say what, uh, back me up in what I'm about to say, which is in Lake Wales, when you want to go on a date, there are two things you can do. You can go to the movies or you can rent a movie. <laughs> and Carly and I, once we got married in Chicago, we spent a couple years up there. Then we moved home. I was commuting to seminary. And uh, this one night we, we, uh, we said, we're not going to go to the movies. We're going to go rent a movie. And lo and behold, who here can recognize that old building? Raise your hand, right? Blockbuster video. I know it's a thing of the past, but this is what we did, kids. This is, this is what we used to do. We used to get in our vehicles and we would drive 15 minutes or so to Blockbuster. And then we would argue. We would walk up and down the aisles arguing what video to rent. And they weren't DVDs. They were cassettes. And there were certain rules. You had to follow certain rules at Blockbuster. And one of the rules was to rewind whatever you rented. So be kind and rewind. If you didn't, you were penalized. And you had to return that video, I think, the next day. If you did not, you were penalized. So that's what kind of we grew up doing in our early years of marriage. And it would frustrate me. It would frustrate us. Well, uh, there were also some leaders in the late 90s carpooling together on the West Coast. And they were dreaming up of a new company. What could we create? What could we launch you know, that would be successful. And one shared that they had just incurred a $40 late fee for one movie uh, at Blockbuster. One movie, 40 bucks. And the light bulb came on. What if we improved the system? There's this thing called the internet. What if we actually had movies on the internet? And from that conversation, a company known as Netflix was launched. So if you remember, Netflix, I believe, started selling DVDs, but also sending DVDs back and forth via the mail. Anyone uh, subscribe back in those days? So you would send a DVD, you'd get a DVD back, and, and anyway, that's how it went. And they were bleeding money for the first several years. It got to the point where they were desperate, and they finally secured a meeting with Goliath Blockbuster. Blockbuster uh, in 2000 had just raised over 400, I think, and 50 million dollars the year before through their IPO. And uh, so they secure this meeting in Texas. They fly out to Texas and the Netflix guys, they say right when they walked in, they were intimidated because the CEO's loafers probably cost more than their cars, right? And so they walk in and the reason I know this story is this week an article came out on Inc.com, which is titled, Blockbuster could have bought Netflix for $50 million, but the CEO thought it was a joke. So here's how the story uh, would continue. The Netflix leaders, they would say these words, we should join forces. We will run the online part of the combined business. You will focus on the stores. We will find the synergies that come from the combination, and it will truly be a case of the whole being greater than the sum of its parts. As he shared this, the executives at Netflix thought it was funny. In fact, the CEO supposedly said these words, the dot-com hysteria is completely overblown. He would go on and they would go on to share that all online businesses 
were destined to fail. They were not sustainable. So this is the year 2000. And uh, it's recorded in a book that was released, I think, over the last month by one of the founders of Netflix. And um, so they kind of were laughed out of the room. They had to go back and figure out what they were going to do as the Netflix leaders. But fast forward to today. Last year, Netflix had an annual revenue of $15.8 billion dollars. And they today have over 150 million global subscribers. In contrast, Blockbuster went bankrupt in 2010. They, at their height, had 9,000 stores and 84,000 employees. The dot-com hysteria, it's completely overblown. No one will get it. That won't work. Such pride and such a downfall. And I think that's at the heart of our passage this morning. This, friends, I think is the big idea, the big takeaway I'd like to share. The foolish man beats his chest and says, I have the power. The wise man bows his knee and says, I know the power. And his name is Jesus. And we're going to look this morning and see that the way of Jesus is three things. First, it's disruptive. Second, it's daring. And third, it's devoted. So let's dive in. Point one, the way of Jesus is disruptive. The story begins, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. So what's going on here? Well, the book of Acts is all about a transition in leadership happening. It's written by a Dr. Luke. In the Gospel of Luke, it's all about the Savior of love, Jesus coming to save you and me, save our world that's twisted and turned. And then Acts is written by Luke, and it's about the mission of love. Jesus saying, I have come to set you free and set you on fire to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the very ends of the earth. So in Acts chapter 2, there's this outpouring of the Holy Spirit. There's this praise that's unleashed. All these people become one people, one fellowship in the gospel. And then they start living it out. And people, one by one, are being cut to the heart. They're being baptized. And then there's this healing right before our passage. A man that's lame from birth is prayed over and invited, yeah, paralyzed from birth, excuse me, paralyzed from birth, is prayed over by Peter and called to rise up, and he's miraculously healed. And now the power players of the church and the nation of Israel, they're upset. And so they throw Peter and John in jail. So what's going on? Well, Jesus 
in the promise of resurrection disrupts the power structures of our hearts and our world. What do I mean by this? Well, according to N.T. Wright, resurrection, you see, is the belief which declares that the living God is going to put everything right once and for all, is going to restore all things, to turn the world the right way up at last. And those who are in power within the world the way it is are quite right to suspect that if God suddenly does such a drastic thing, they, to put it mildly, cannot guarantee that they will end up in power in the new world that God is going to make. You see, what God is doing in in Jesus, he's not just forgiving our sins. He's offering a promise, Dan. He's saying, I'm going to make all things right, make all things new. Cody preached on this a little last week. We look at the end of the Bible. We, We see this proclamation, Jesus himself, like, I've made all things new. I'm the alpha and the omega. And so the religious leaders are super upset that they're being stripped of their temporal power. The attention is now on Jesus and his followers. Healings are happening. Lives are being changed. And it's not just for one generation. In Acts 2, it's for generation upon generation, the promise goes. So here's the question. When was the last time you loved someone in the name of Jesus that caused disruption? When's the last time you loved someone in such a way, in the name of Jesus, it caused disruption, that you had to take that extra step to look at that lame person or that young mom who's struggling to sleep at night because her baby won't sleep or she's got postpartum depression? When's the last time you visited or we visited someone in the hospital to lay hands on them and to pray over them in the name of Jesus? When did you notice the outcast? When did you start extending mercy or justice in the name of Jesus, promising hope, forgiveness, new life? People are going to either come in, be drawn in, or called out if we're living in such a way. Do you see disruption happening in and around you because you're living for Jesus? The way of Jesus is disruptive. Point two, the way of Jesus is daring. Do we have any risk takers in the room? Blink your eyes. Okay, raise your hands. May Reese, she's just going to keep it up the rest. All right, we have, hey, take note. There's more risk takers at the 11 a.m. than the 9 a.m. It's because you were out late taking risk. Hopefully not getting arrested, but taking risk. In Jesus, we're all called to be risk takers. The story goes on. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were um, Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power Or what name did you do this? And I just want us to step back, pause, and imagine what it would have been like. You've prayed over a lame person. That lame person is healed. And guess what? Good news. You're thrown in jail. And it's not just any jail by any leaders. 
Annas and Caiaphas by name are the people who threw Jesus at the crucifixion. They are the murderers of Jesus from the Jewish party, from the Jewish leadership. There would have been 71 of these leaders called the Sanhedrin made up, and there's a trial going on. And they're calling out Peter and John, by what power or name do you think you're doing this? And if you think back, Peter had been called out earlier before Jesus was crucified three times. Do you know Jesus? And what did Peter say? No, I don't, I don't know him. No, do you, we saw you. With, no, I don't know him. No, I don't know him. And can you imagine sitting in that cell knowing that you were going to go before, I know I'm looking at some lawyers in the room, knowing you were going to go before people that condemned Jesus to die. Those are the people that you're going to answer to that next morning. Can you imagine that night in that cell? I love this quote from Fulton Sheen. One advantage of being thrown on your back is that you face heaven. So the question is, will they rise in courage or fall in cowardice? The story continues. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel everybody. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. And Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else. There's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And then they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that these were unschooled, ordinary men. And they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Peter doesn't back down. He rises up and he hits them right between the eyes and right between the heart, risking everything. It's in the name of Jesus that this has happened. And it's Jesus' name only that there's resurrection from the dead. In this Jesus, oh, guess what? He is the stone the builder has rejected. And he starts quoting from the Old Testament, Psalm 118, which is temple language. What he's basically saying is, Jesus is the Messiah, the new temple, and you're missing it. Are we missing it? You see, in the face of danger, the apostles displayed audacious faith. And once you know Jesus, you move from self-preservation to self-proclamation. You can't help it. You become a weirdo. You become a rebel. You take risks. You live with audacious faith. You step over that line, you love that person, you love that family, you love that neighborhood. And in a small, funny way, I want to share a story of what this looks like from my Polk County upbringing. You see, I came to faith as a munchkin in preschool. 
I remember falling on my knees at First Presbyterian of Lake Wales in their little chapel looking at the, the uh, stained glass um, mural there, and just, it clicked. It's like a, I don't know, four-year-old, five-year-old. It clicked. But I know some of y'all are perfect, so you can't relate to this next statement, but my life was like this, right? Um, a zig and a zag and an up and a down, brushing myself off. And finally, in college, I came to the end of myself. It's not that I was really a totally bad kid. Actually, just the opposite. I was a good kid, and I was miserable. You know, one of the dangers, especially for an audience like this, is you think, if I just get that car, I just get that house, I just get that relationship, I just get that promotion, it will all go well. I climbed that ladder of success, state champion in tennis, straight A's, this, that. I was miserable. The higher I got, the more disconnected I got. You can lean a ladder against the wall, climb those rungs, and realize you've leaned it against the wrong wall to pull from a book called Experiencing God. So that's where I found myself in the middle of college. I had this prodigal experience where I was like, God, I, I honestly, I'm sick of myself. And I don't believe in me, but would you believe in me? Would you take me back? And so it was this kind of new, fresh journey. And I went home to Polk County on one of our breaks, and there was a party being thrown. I'm so tempted to name the name of the host, because uh, just to get a chuckle, but this, this person, I can't say it. But anyway, a party's being thrown by one of my old good friends. There, was, there were kegs there. There was drinking. There might have been more there. And I was like, I probably shouldn't go. But I felt God prompting me to go. So I show up at the party, and uh, people are already tipsy all over the place. And uh, I, I just was checking in, and, and I finally felt prompted to ask for a drink. Um, can I have a solo cup, and do you have some milk? <laughs> True story. So I started walking around drinking whole milk. <laughs> and people hadn't seen me in a year or two. I was kind of zealous. They can, they can affirm this. I was, anyway, they hadn't seen me in like a year or two. And, and they were like, hey, how are you, this and that? And I was just, with no shame, sharing about how I had fallen on my face before God, and he was doing something in me. And I recognized I didn't need all this extra stuff. I didn't need to work hard and play hard. and part. I didn't need that. In fact, it complicated things. By the end of the night, I'm sitting in the living room, and several others are drinking milk out of solo cups with me. <laughs> As God is my witness. And to this day, several of those people still reach out to me for prayer. And several of those people will be listening to this podcast because they still are curious and hungry for what God is doing. Billy Graham says it like this, courage is contagious. When a brave man takes a stand, the spines of others are often stiffened. So here's a question. In what area of life is Jesus calling you to be audacious in your faith? The way of Jesus is daring. And point three, the way of Jesus is devoted. What are we going to do with these men? They asked. 
Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign. We can't deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must... I just think that's so funny. To stop this thing spreading. Oh, they didn't do so well. Um, (laughs) Any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in his name. And then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. You see, despite all of the voices, Peter and John had learned to live for an audience of one. And to capture this point, I found a great story out of a Kent Hughes book I'd like to share. Frederick the Great once called all his generals together. One of them, Hans von Zieten, had duties to perform at his church that night in a communion to participate in. So he refused to come. Later, he was again invited to dine with all the generals and Frederick the Great. On that occasion, they all made light of him and joked about his religious duties and about the Lord's Supper. Von Zieten stood and said to his intimidating ruler, My Lord, there's a greater king than you, a king to whom I have sworn allegiance even unto death. I am a Christian man, and I cannot sit quietly as his as the Lord's name is dishonored, his character belittled, and his cause subject to ridicule. With your permission, I shall withdraw. And there was silence, because the generals knew such a daring act could mean death. But Frederick the Great was so struck by von Zieten's courage that he begged him to stay and promised him he would never again demean those sacred things. What a story, what devotion, what faith. And it it really begs us to ask what voices or influences are echoing in our minds this morning? Like who's got that place that's demanding your time, your finances, all that? Who's got the grip on your heart or in your life saying, follow me? If you walk away or if you do this, beware. Watch out. There are voices calling for us to follow them day in and day out, over and over again. And we either say yes to them or no to them, and yes to Jesus or no to Jesus. He himself said it like this in John chapter 10 My sheep listen to my voice, I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. So I think the challenge in this point is clear. We're all called to learn to live for an audience of one and to hear one voice above all other voices. The way of Jesus is devoted. So in summary, the foolish man beats his chest and says, I have the power. And the wise man bows his knee and says, I know the power. 
and his name is Jesus. The way of Jesus is disruptive. The way of Jesus is daring. The way of Jesus is devoted. And the closer you draw near, you can't help but to live this way. In conclusion, I want to offer one more quote from N.T. Wright. Where God's power is at work to bring real change, real healing, real new life, there are there the people who are naming the name of Jesus to bring it about can stand up before judges, whether political or religious, and say with integrity they are speaking for God. It will be costly, but that's part of the deal. But it will be true. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this word. As we're called into the gospel, we're called out in the gospel. God, may we bow our knee and recognize that you are sovereign, not only in our lives, but in our world. God, I pray that we would experience disruption, not because we're causing it, but because we're living out the mission you've put on our hearts and before us. May we love well. God, would you call us to be daring in our faith, to not back down, but to stand up and to share who you are and what you're doing, even when there's risk involved. And God, I pray that we would listen to you above all others. We would live for an audience of one, that you would get our best first in our devotion to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.